We started this series a few weeks ago called Decisions because our lives have been shaped and impacted by the decisions we've made and by the decisions other people have made, both good and bad. And over the years, there are just naturally going to be decisions that we regret. And for some of us, there are whole chapters in our lives that we regret. And so we've been looking at, when I make decisions, how do I know this is God's will? And so we started off looking at some what I called guardrails. And every single time the words, the will of God, are being used in Scripture, it's going to fall into one of these three categories that we've talked about. There's the providential will of God, the things that God's just going to do. There's the moral will of God, the do's and don'ts of Scripture. And then there's the personal will of God, what you have called me to be and do. And those provide the guardrails for decision-making. And then we saw through the story of Rehoboam how critical it is to seek out wise counsel from maturing followers of Jesus. We all need to have people in our lives that as we are making decisions, we're able to ask some key questions in order to help discern God's will and direction for our lives. And again, the only reason we wouldn't seek out that wise counsel is because of our pride or our insecurities. And then last week, we looked at how God speaks through the scriptures. And as a part of our decision-making grid, we need to fully embrace this passage that we looked at last week of Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And we said, you know, we're saying, Lord, I think this is what you want me to do, but I know your ways and your thoughts are different than mine, so would you please speak clearly to me through your word and through others? You see, the, the more we get to know the Lord, the more clearly we will understand his will and we'll understand his ways. Which now leads us to this morning where I wanna spend some time talking about understanding the personal will of God. See, the personal will of God is, should I marry this person or should I not? The personal will of God is, should I go to this college or should I go to that college or should I not go to college at all? Should I take this job or should I stay at the job that I'm presently in? See, it's, it's those personal decisions that we all need to make. And the good news is, God cares about those kinds of decisions. You know, a few weeks ago, we looked at a few different passages talking about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul says that Paul was called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. See, Paul felt like God wanted for him to personally be an apostle. That wasn't that everybody needs to be an apostle. God had a very specific personal will for the apostle Paul. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, it says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, for certain people, a part of God's personal will for their lives will be that they suffer. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. But we see that it was this way for Jesus. We see it was this way for the apostles and many, many others over the years. Here's my point. 
there are going to be all kinds of decisions that fall under the category of the personal will of God. Do I go into this partnership? Should I launch out on my own? Should I stay in the corporate world? Should I go into full-time ministries? Should I move closer to family? And how do we know what God wants us to do? And I just firmly believe that God can give you multiple options that will fall under the canopy of his will and you get to choose. And I also believe that there are specific things to you personally that God wants you to do. So then the question is, how do you know? If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up with me to Nehemiah chapter six. And again, uh, the book of Nehemiah, you, you know, if you're not sure where that is, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you go to the book of Psalms, which is kind of in the middle, you kind of go back a couple of you know, Psalms, Job, Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra. So now what I'm gonna do this morning is take a little different approach than most would at this topic. As you're turning there, let, let me just, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you have a picture of what God wants for your future? Do you have a picture of what you want your future to be? Are they the same? See, vision is having a picture of what you hope the future will be. And the clearer the picture or vision of what could be and should be, the greater chance of you getting to the end of your life and looking back and say, I did it. I accomplished what God wanted me to accomplish, which then will determine being successful. But if you don't have vision for your marriage or for family or for your career or for your finances, then chances are you're going to get to the end of your life and you're gonna look back and wonder, what if? Maybe I should have, or if I had to do it all over again, I would, and you fill in the blank. See, without vision, we don't know if we're headed in the right direction or not. Without vision, we don't know if we ever get there because we don't even know where there is. See, probably most of us have all heard the statement, life is a journey. But the reality is that the joy of this journey and the passion of this journey is determined by the strength and the clarity of God's vision for your life. See, what, what vision does, it adds passion to your life. It fuel injects your soul. It gives motivation to your life. It takes the mundane and it makes it matter. And all of a sudden, all the little things now have meaning and purpose. It's like the difference between just filling bags with dirt versus building a dike to save a town. It's the difference between just coaching basketball versus raising boys to be young men who play basketball. It's the difference between just being a mom or just being a dad versus training up your children to follow Jesus and have an impact on this world. See, the little things matter because of the picture of what the end result should look like. See, what I don't want to see happen to any of us is to fall into this awful trap of getting to the end of our lives, looking back and realizing that we've spent the majority of our time gathering and securing rectangular pieces of green paper with pictures of dead presidents on it. Like that can't be the motivation, that can't be the goal. And here's what I want, what, and here's what I know to be true. 
I just know it to be true. Without God's supernatural help, all life boils down to is growing old, raising children, and then you're out of here. You're going, that's it? You get to the end of your life and you end up asking, what was I here for? What was my life all about? Did I accomplish what God designed for me to do or did I miss it? And what I believe God wants you to hear and understand is this, your loving heavenly father who created you has a specific vision for your life. And as you wrestle with the tension of what is and what could be, God is going to birth vision in your heart that you're never gonna be able to get away from. I love this quote by Aristotle. He said, the soul never thinks without a picture. God is gonna birth in your soul a picture of what he wants you to do, which will eliminate us getting to the end of our lives, looking back and wondering what this was all about. I've had people ask me this in their 80s and 90s and wondering what their life was all about. So let's, let's just jump into Nehemiah 6. But before that, let me give you some context. Nehemiah was a person who had a name of the a book of the Bible named after him, and it's essentially just the story of his life. And a professor in college told me, that you know you don't want to get to heaven and run into Nehemiah and say, hey, what did you do? I mean, you, you kind of want to know who these guys are. And so the book of Nehemiah takes place in 445 BC. And it's the last historical book in the Bible. It's not the end of the Old Testament, but the Bible, because the Bible's not written in chronological order. But after the Nehemiah, after the story of Nehemiah, we don't hear anything for 400 years, and then Jesus comes. And to understand the significance of the story, I've got to kind of take you back a little bit, about 140 years before this book. So 140 years before this, Israel has turned their back on God. God would send prophets in saying, if you don't shape up, I'm gonna send other nations in here and stomp all over you because you should have never turned your back on me. And then Israel was like, we're not afraid, we're Israel. Who's gonna mess with us? Who's gonna mess with us? and they would turn their back continuously on God. And God says, I warned you. And then he would send in the Babylonians and the Southern Israel and the Babylonians would wreak havoc and they tore down Jerusalem, the temple, and they ended all religious worship. They also took their leaders and killed most of them. And the ones that they did keep were the best ones, the most artistic ones, the most talented leaders. And they marched them on to Babylon, which is where we get the story of the book of Daniel. So the nation of Israel, almost at this point, doesn't even exist. I mean, it's a total mess. And then to add insult to injury, after Babylon's done with them, then the smaller little nations would come in and they would just pillage whatever is left of value. So Israel has a long road ahead of them in order to even look like a nation again. So. Now we get to the book of Nehemiah, and he works for the king as a cupbearer, which God sets up as a strategic relationship. And God begins to start the rebuilding process for Israel by birthing a vision in Nehemiah's heart for Jerusalem. And as Nehemiah looks at the condition of Jerusalem, God shows him, gives him a picture of what could and should be. And it's in that tension of what could and should be that God births a vision 
in Nehemiah's heart. So Nehemiah goes to serve the king and God uses some cool circumstances to get the king to ask Nehemiah some questions. And Nehemiah ends up getting permission to go back and build a wall for the city of Jerusalem. But we will see that some of the key officials weren't too happy about all this. And they try to actually get rid of Nehemiah and stop the rebuilding project, which for the most part takes us up through chapter six of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter six, verses one through four, said, when, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Samballot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, I'm just gonna, this is just some personal advice. Never meet bad guys in a place called Ono, right? Just, just some personal advice there. Anyway, but they were scheming to harm me. Verse three, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. See, in the New American Standard Bible, in verse three it says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now I want you to say this phrase with me together. I am doing a great work and I can't come down. I, I would literally want you to say it out loud, even in your home. I am doing a great work and I can't come down. See, here's the whole point that I want you to get. When God births a vision or gives you a picture of what could and should be in your heart and your life, this verse needs to play a major part in your decision-making. As you're going after the vision and the stuff comes up that's gonna potentially distract you or lead you astray, you come back to that verse and you say, no, 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 I am doing a great work, the vision that God's given you, and I can't come down. It could be a ministry that God has truly laid on your heart. You see the need and God has burdened you to meet that need and given you a vision for that need because you see what could and should be, but all of a sudden doubts come in, insecurities come in, financial hardship comes in, second guessing begins to start to creep in, and you've gotta say, no, 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 no. I am doing a great work and I can't come down. See, for some of you moms or dads, maybe it's to stay at home with your kids when they're young, or maybe you feel like you need to homeschool or private school or public, whatever it is, which means you giving up maybe some of your own career aspirations for a season because you're convinced that God wants you to do that. But all of a sudden you get some opportunities that come your way or money's getting tight and you wonder if you should change your decision. You gotta come back to that vision and say, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Or maybe God has started to birth a vision in you about your marriage or about parenting or your finances, and there are gonna be all kinds of things that are gonna come up and try and get you off track. So what do you do? Do you pray, dear God, you know, what should I do? Or has God already made that clear to you? And you just need to stay on track towards Him and accomplishing His purpose in your life. For instance, 
Where do you want, where do you want to be in your marriage in 10 years? What's your vision? How are the decisions that you're making today going to lead you in that direction? See, maybe one of your goals as a couple is to get out of debt in three years so that you can fully honor the Lord with your finances. But now some of your friends are wanting to go on a cruise and you both would like to go. So what do you do? Do you say, oh God, you know, should we go? Or do you say, we'll just prolong our getting out of debt some more and you know, we're just gonna go on this cruise because we really deserve it. God doesn't mind if we don't keep our commitment of getting out of debt. Or do you say, as much as we'd love to go, as much as we'd like to go, we can't go on this cruise. Because why? Because we're doing a great work and we can't come down. Now don't, don't miss this. If we are coming to God, asking him to bless our dreams and goals, I'm just telling you, you've totally missed it. You say, how? Because at the cross, we gave up our rights, our dreams, our aspirations, and we laid them down. And now we say, Jesus, what's your vision? What's your dreams? What are your goals that you want to accomplish through my life? Whatever it is that you want me to be and do, I'm yours. Because the visions and dreams that I'm going after has to be your vision. And that's why it's a great work. That's why I can't come down. I remember my good friend, Richard Pritzkow from Germany, who was a part of our church here at Sile Life. And he was talking about how God was wrecking him over all this. And he started praying and he said, God, I want to dream your dreams for my life. I told him, I said, that's a dangerous prayer. And God's, God did that very thing in his life. And it's been powerful to see how God is using what he learned here at Sci Life about discipleship. And now he's having influence, not only in his family, he's having influence in the country of Germany. See, when you have vision for your life that comes from the Lord, it's much easier to make decisions because you know certain things just don't fit. In Acts chapter 26, verse 16 says, but get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness. See, the Lord gave purpose to Paul's life with a vision that he wanted him to accomplish. Wouldn't we all like that kind of clarity that Paul received? But it's in the process that you have to press into the Lord and listen to what he is saying through scripture, through prayer, through wise outside counsel that will direct your steps and give you clarity of vision. Do you have vision for your marriage? See, I, so for me, I knew I didn't wanna be divorced because I grew up in a divorced home. But I had to figure out what God wanted for my marriage, not what I didn't want. See, I wanted, to, I wanted it to be life-giving. I wanted it to be fun. I wanted my wife to feel loved and cared for. See, my role was to lead her by serving her. My vision was to be the chief servant of my home, which means I had to humble myself and look for ways to serve and care for my wife. I wanted to give our kids a picture of a healthy, committed marriage that was gonna work through the struggles and the hard times. But you gotta have vision for your marriage. I had vision for parenting for my kids. I, I didn't want my kids to resent God or the church because their dad spent more time with other people than them. 
So I had to have vision. I wanted to invest in their lives with a lot of intentional time. I passed up lots of speaking opportunities to be at their games and at their, you know, their activities and to make sure I supported them and coached them at times. I wanna be their biggest fan. I wanted to invest in them. I was going to intentionally train them to know what it meant to be a godly woman and godly men. I didn't want them guessing at life. I wanted our kids to love being at home with us, especially when they didn't have to be anymore. I had a vision for my career. As a pastor, I, re I wrestled with God on my career path numerous times because the last thing, to be honest, that I really wanted to do was be a pastor. Did not want to be one. And then I wrestled with God again when he wanted me to leave being a, st a student pastor to become a senior pastor. And then over time, God has given me greater and greater clarity on the vision of being a disciple-making church. And me specifically helping other pastors and other churches do the same. It fuels me. I get re-energized. I can do it all day long. So now I know, I, I, not only do I get to help our church, but now I get to help churches across the country and actually in other parts of the world. God's given me vision and passion for it. And it's in the tension of what is and what could be that God births vision for your life. And when I grappled with the present state of the church and felt like we were losing because marriages are falling apart the same rate for Christians as non-Christians, and Christian kids are going off to college, walking away from their faith at an alarming rate, churches are declining, they're closing their doors, and I'm sitting there going, why? And God made it clear in the tension of what could and should be because we weren't discipling people like Jesus called us to. God birthed this vision in me, this passion in my soul that I, was will, that I was willing to give the rest of my life to seeing that change. God birthed vision of what the church could and should be like. See, having vision brings fuel to your soul. So then you come back to the questions. So then how do you know? How do you know who you should marry? Should you marry this person or not? Should I, should I move? Should I take this job? And again, let's take the whole series and let's come back. Are there any principles in scripture that speak to this or give guidance to the things I'm asking? Who do I respect and admire that I, that I could go to that would give me wise, mature, godly counsel? And the, does this decision line up with the vision that God has for my life? I want you to listen to me. We're going to be done. When God's concern becomes our concern, you don't have to pray for vision because there will be birthed in you a vision that will grip your soul and you won't be able to get away from it. See, so when I get phone calls or emails from other churches and they ask, hey, would you be interested in being the pastor of our church? See, my response is easy. I'm doing a great work here and I can't come down. God created you for a purpose seek it out, and then spend the rest of your life pursuing his dream for you. And I promise you, you won't regret it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Nehemiah. Lord, that, that we see that you birthed in him in this tension of what was presently, but what could be, and in that tension, you gave him vision 
of what needed to be, and you gave it specifically to him to go after and accomplish it. God, would you birth vision of what you want in people's hearts and lives, that, that, that for all of us, that we would come to you and remember that we're at the foot of the cross, that we gave up our rights to dream our own dreams, that we are yours, that you're the king of our lives. Our whole mission for the rest of my life because of the cross is to, to fully surrender to you and live out what you have for us. And God, in that, would you give us vision that would give us passion and fuel for our souls? And then give us the strength and the grit to not quit, but to keep going and to persevere and to endure, to get to the end, to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. God, thank you for giving us guidance on how to make decisions that we would become mature disciples who know how to make wise, God-honoring decisions, that we would seek counsel, that we would spend time in your word getting to know you so we can get to know your ways and your thoughts. And God, we love you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name.